one of the reasons for the Cold War, <clears throat> even according to Quigley, was that there was this struggle for control of international socialism. Would, would it be uh, the Trotsky-Lenin types, or would it be the uh, the, the Soviet-style uh, Russian national socialism, uh, or what he calls national communism, right? He says the only difference between Hitler and Stalin is that Hitler is national socialism and uh, Stalin was national communism. But they're both essentially control systems that are exported to, to by the West. <clears throat> and he says that it doesn't matter to us because he says we can have these systems bump up against each, against each other and go to war because that only benefits the revolution. He says the war is revolutionary. And so he says that if you understand this, you understand it all because you understand that the elite need their opposition and they need it to, 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 uh, to go to war because that's the best way to fund and promote their ultimate designs, which are total control. Welcome to the fourth hour. Uh, this is your guest host, Jay Dyer of Jay's Analysis. Thank you. I wanted to talk about dialectics and understanding the ma manipulation of dialectics. You know, we saw today uh, or yesterday in the recent release of the newest batch of the Twitter files that there's this collusion between NGOs, between private self-appointed authorities, between uh, intelligence agencies, uh, uh, so-called, that are there to really shut down any critique, any dissension. And we knew that this was going on for a long time, but now it's completely vindicated with these Twitter files. And uh, I think that the key here is to understand that this control system isn't new and it's something that has existed for a long time. And there's certain ways that the control system works that are so crucial to understand that we often forget. And that is controlled opposition and controlled dialectics. Controlled dialectics is itself an older Marxist idea that actually goes back to ancient Greece and ancient pagan religions. So you've heard me probably talk about uh, uh, Plato's Republic, right? Plato's Republic is about this idea of setting up the perfect utopian city-state. Now, I don't think in Plato's mind he thought he could really set up a utopian city-state, but he thought that you could try to shoot for that with a form of a mix of kind of authoritarianism with the philosopher king at the top, a degree of kind of communitarianism or communism in the middle, and then a, a, a large working base at the bottom of the pyramid. And so there's a famous document uh, from the Cold War that, that harkens back to this, believe it or not, that is kind of forgotten. And it's a document that deals with an interrogation uh, of a Trotskyite uh, Marxist under the Stalinist regime, under the NKVD. So two branches of Marxism that are kind of battling amongst themselves. And there was a guy named Christian Rakovsky who was a Bulgarian uh, a socialist who was then eventually uh, brought into um, the high levels of the, uh, the, the Communist International to be a spokesperson, so, so to speak, at different levels and as, as an ambassador to, to other countries and whatnot. And he got uh, arrested at one point and he's part of the trial of the 20, right? There's these 20 figures underneath the Stalin uh, regime where Stalin purged a bunch of the Trotskyites. And if you don't know, there was these internal battles and struggles within the history of Marxism, communism, socialism for who would be really the, the face of communism, Marxism, who, who would run this system, who would be the power? Would it be the, the so-called pure classical Marxist, the true Marxist, or would it be this new kind of Stalinism, which was very uh, centralized in the sense of like a, a dictator and all that? 
And uh, Stalin realized that the policies of the Bolsheviks, for example, were pretty disastrous. Now, Stalin, I think, was a tyrant and a monster. He was a, a terrible person. But he realized that these really wild policies of the Bolsheviks that we kind of see in today's Antifa-style stuff, that it was totally destructive, that it wouldn't work. So he tried to scale back some of that and have a, just a total dictatorship. And so uh, as a result of this, there was a lot of former Marxists who were mad at him, right? There's a lot of Trotskyites. There's a lot of uh, uh, Leninists and so forth, uh, Mensheviks, Bolsheviks that were mad at Stalin. So they kind of went to war and then Stalin purged them. And there's a wild testimony from one of those guys that he that he interrogated. Don't go anywhere. This is the Alex Jones Show. I'm your host, Jay Dyer. Welcome back to the Alex Jones Show. We're talking about the interrogation of the uh, agent of Trotsky, the figure of Rakovsky, who was interrogated under the uh, NKVD under Stalin. And it's a uh, it's a kind of a speculative text. We don't know 100% if this is uh, totally accurate because, of course, it comes out of the period of the Stalinist regime. But it is one piece of evidence that actually supports the, the thesis of both Quigley uh, and, and Professor Anthony Sutton that we've covered for so many years over here. So the thesis deals with whether or not Marxism, socialism is a real organic movement or whether it's kind of something propped up from the outside. And the reason that I'm talking about this is that when we understand the dialectics of the Cold War, that Manichaean pitting of East against the West, which was engineered at a higher level by very powerful Western industrialists, corporatists, and banking interests, then we can begin to understand how the system that we live in today is a circle in which we're in a controlled back and forth, kind of like a kind of like a pong match, ping pong, right? And you're only allowed to discuss topics within this predefined circle. And there's also a text that's pretty uh, well known that's very closely related to this idea, which is the book uh, Fire in the Minds of Men by James Billington. And, and in Fire in the Minds of Men, it's a it's a treatise on the history of French revolutionary Marxist socialist ideas. And he was not a conspiracy guy. He was the uh, librarian of Congress. So he was actually a scholar and he was a big supporter, a big fan of this idea of the history of revolutionary thought from the French Revolution up till today. And then and sort of how it culminated uh, up into the Bolshevik Revolution. So he begins his book at the French Revolution, then he ends it with uh, the Russian Bolshevik Revolution and then into the Stalinist period. So Revolution in this system is based on the idea of dialectics, the idea that everything in life is a black and white, yes, no, yin, yang, push, pull situation. And it's fundamental also to Darwinism that this survival of fittest, that this power struggle is something that is uh, fundamental and inherent to the existing order. And that's itself what propels progress in this order. How, that's how we get to the higher stages. And so it's called in this uh, situation, for example, uh, esoteric Marxism, right? Uh, in the interrogation, we have this discussion going on where the, the figure of uh, Rakovsky is being interrogated by the NKVD. And he says, you guys don't really understand Marxism. Marxism is much more than a um, economic system. It's a lot more than some kind of theory about uh, modes of production and who, who owns the means and modes of production. He says, it's not a uh, primarily a social justice phenomenon. This verbiage and this idea might have been used or attached to Marxism over the years, but that's not primarily what it's about. He says, and you guys have corrupted true Marxism, you Stalinists. <clears throat> and he says that we will have the ultimate victory because we know the long game plan. And this really takes the interrogator, uh, uh, the guy named Gabriel, for a, a bit of a surprise. He says, what do you mean you're going to win in the, in the long run? He says, well, because I know who's really running this. He says, who's really running it? What do you mean? 
He says, well, you have to understand what Marxism is, what socialism ultimately is. He says it is not about fixing economic systems and injustices. He says, ultimately, it's a kind of religion. Now, he says it's not a religion in the sense of we believe in uh, you know, supernatural powers. But he says it's a religion that's at a commitment to a single idea, which is revolutionary dialectic, which is the end goal. So there's not necessarily a utopia at the end. Right. Marx talked about the possibility that there could be a utopia or something like that and the withering away of the state. But he says there's not really uh, any guiding necessary principle that we will uh, necessarily get to a utopia. It might end in a collapse. It might end in chaos. Who knows? But he says that our our commitment is to revolution. And he says everything else serves revolution. That's it. So it's revolution even against revolution, ultimately. And he says, and that's the great mystery uh, and the acceptance within Marxism of contradiction. So a lot of us out here uh, who argue online or whatever, we get into discussions with family members, whoever, that are liberal or whatever, that are committed to Marxism. Now, those are low-level Marxists. They don't really understand what this is about. But they do kind of – they've unconsciously uh, imbibed this idea that the antithesis to the thesis – thesis, antithesis, synthesis, right – is itself contradictory but necessary. And so – Rakowski, that's being interrogated, says to the NKVD guy, he says, don't you understand that we couldn't have Marxism socialism without the economic misery and chaos? He says, how would people turn to Marxism if they didn't believe that the existing system was a huge injustice? And the guy says, okay, well, that's fair enough. Uh, Sure, that that, kind of makes sense. And he says, but I'm going to go even further because we believe that we must increase the chaos, the collapse, the destruction. And he says, we must do that, especially on the working class, because that's what furthers our movement. And he says, wait a minute. So you're saying that you want worse situations for the workers? He says, absolutely, because that's what drives them to revolutionary action. And he says, well, okay, maybe that makes sense. I guess you could say that's a pragmatic uh, goal here. But I I thought we were here to kind of fix the problems of the world. And he says, no, no, no. Do you understand? um, He says, what do you think revolution is? And he says, um. I don't know, it's, it's guys on the ground that you know want to fight against injustice. And he says, who do you think funds those people? And the NKVD guy says, well, I, I guess uh, you know, they raise money. I don't know, they get, they get money from people who want to support them and agree with them. He says, no, they get money from very powerful industrialists and banking houses that want to see the collapse, that want to see the, 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 the falling apart of the situation the strikes, the hunger, the starvation, and the misery, because that leads to the synthesis. So everything in Marxism is dialectical uh, thesis versus antithesis, and then you get the, the synthesis out of that. And so it's a technique. It's a, it's a method for producing the results one wants. And you produce those results by intentionally causing the opposition to your position. And that sounds so mysterious. Oh, it's a conspiracy theory. That's in Marxism everywhere. In fact, Marx, as we know, created his own secret society. And he did that because the Marxists before him, back to the French Revolution, the Robespierre's, these kinds of figures, the Adam Weishaupt's, right? If you didn't know, Adam Weishaupt was a communist. And the idea here was we don't just have a secret society where we push this. He says we also want to intentionally cause 
the reaction against us. We want the reaction. We want the opposition. And we want to make things worse because that's what furthers the revolution. Because it, it is, according to Rakovsky and according to other uh, people who've written on this, like Gary North, a religion of revolution. In fact, the Billington book is called The Revolutionary Faith. It is faith in constant perpetual revolution. And that's the one famous work, I think, if I recall, from Trotsky, right? Perpetual Permanent Revolution. So there's, it's, an, it's a never-ending revolution. Every, every generation of Marxists even destroys the previous generation of Marxists because that's the necessary logic of continual revolution. Now, I'm not saying that today we're run by Marxists, okay? We're run by the Fortune 100, et cetera, who have adopted a synthesized view, something closer to Fabian socialism. But we get an insight into, in this interrogation back in the 1930s, or 20s or 30s, whenever it was, 19... Uh, 1938 uh, interrogation, that uh, that Marxism was already beginning to be seen and understood as something that necessitated monopoly capital. And when we come back, we're going to get into the interrogation where he actually says that monopoly capital is the necessary dialectical opposition to true Marxism, which furthers the revolution. And it is, in fact, the capitalist, the monopoly capitalist, he says, who will hand the victory over to us in the distant future. Quite literally, he says that we, we, I know this because I know the people that are running Marxism. Don't go anywhere. anywhere. This is Alex Jones. I'm your guest host, Jay Dyer of Jay's Analysis. You need to get coordinated with not only your food, but also your health supplements, because it's going to be a matter of life and death. So support InfoWars Store. Listen, you need to put it as a priority because you don't know. I don't know. Alex and I are telling you how late it is before midnight strikes. And again, magnesium is critical for your muscles and, and everything. Krill oil. What I'm watching right before my eyes is a composite overview of nutritional supplements that will keep Keep you alive. And I would urge everyone, maybe you don't take vitamins, maybe you don't take nutritional supplements, but the day will come. Vitamin C and zinc, absolutely imperative for the cold. DNA force, absolutely imperative. Mineral fusion, absolutely. As you're drinking filtered water, a lot of it will become demineralized. You have to have these products. Welcome back to the Alex Jones Show. I'm your guest host, Jay Dyer of Jay's Analysis. And so here we see that the contradictions that are evident within Marxism are admitted by alleged high-level Marxist operatives. Now, we know this was a high-level socialist Marxist guy, but whether he was in on the inner, inner party is the claim of Rakovsky himself. Now, the thing that's fascinating to me is that much of his claims are backed up by other independent researchers that are in the West, right? So we have Quigley and Sutton, who Quigley writing, of course, in Tragedy and Hope and in other writings uh, as a defender of this model and this system. <clears throat> And then we have Sutton as somebody who was an economist who stumbled upon this information and became more of a critic. The question is then uh, whether this information is valid. We can't ultimately know in terms of this interrogation because certainly anything that Stalin lets out is going to be uh, probably amenable to the Stalinist regime. Or uh, if the story is true that this kind of leaked, who knows? But Rakowski says that really Marxism was run by an international inner clique 
of people who understood that revolution is a powerful tool for reorganizing and, and changing and restructuring society. And he says that monopoly capitalism eventually saw that it needed Marxism, that it would be a good tool to have as a managed dialectic. And so his interrogator, the NTV, NKVD guy, says, what? That's too crazy. That's, that's insane. There's no way that it's that, quote, conspiratorial, because why would capitalists fund the, their enemies? And he says, well, they would fund enemies not just to control them. But he says, if you think about it, what, what, how is the whole modern world built? And he says it's built on fiat money printing. He says the whole Federal Reserve system, right, which is a creation of the Milner Fabian socialist clique that we've been lecturing through recently. And the NKVD guy says, mm, yeah, maybe that's the case. And he says, well, don't you understand and don't you agree as a Soviet person that uh, international money is, in your view, a problem, right? And he says, yeah, sure, that's what's uh, running the world. That's who funds Tiny Mustache Man, our enemy. And the, the, the bourgeoisie nations in the West, they're the enemy of the Soviet empire. And he says, you have it all wrong. You have a very low level understanding. He says, the revolutionaries originally were the people who figured out how to do Federal Reserve style money printing. He says, what? He says, yeah, remember when I was asking you about who funds the Marxists and the revolutionaries? He says, it's very wealthy people. He says, do you imagine that they're idiots or do you imagine that they are intelligent people. <clears throat> he says, they're not idiots. They figured out how to game the whole world, basically, and how to achieve through money printing, through fiat debt system and debt bubbles, how to run the world. And he says that that's the real purpose of Marxism. He says, Marxism has as its end goal the establishment of total domination and total control by this inner clique, that's it. That's its end goal, power. It's not an end goal of setting up a truly just, equitable, you know, social just, um, fair system. It is a system of control. And he says that I can give you plenty of examples that show this. He says, for example, think about um, the three levers according to classical Marxism of the revolution. He says there's economics, war, and there's the workers, the proletariat. He says, aren't, aren't these the three basic uh, levers? And I think he says Len Lenin's three levers or something like that. And uh, the NKVD guy says, oh, yeah, sure, that makes sense. Uh, what about it? And he says, well, do you think that the workers control either of these three levers? Do the workers control economics? Do they, do they control the uh, printing and issuance of currency? No. He says, do the nation states control the uh, printing and issuance of currency? And he says, what happens anytime the nation state decides to start printing and issuing its own currency and not private international elites? He says, well, uh, that becomes a problem. Yeah, exactly. Because this allows through inflation and through the running up uh, of the month, through the running of the money printer, brr, 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 the money printer go brr, right? This allows them to buy up the real assets, the real wealth. And that confirms that that's in Quigley's Tragedy and Hope in the first 200 pages. He says that this was the system that was set up post-enlightenment based on fiat gold certificates, gold, gold notes. You, you print more gold notes than there is gold in the reserves, right? And that allows you to control and manipulate the currency. You can control and con you can expand and contract the amount of the currency that's out there, inflation, deflation, et cetera. And by doing that, you can Lend, lend out, right, at extensive interest rates. 
and it allows you eventually to control everything. So he's, he goes back to saying, well, look, so do, do the workers control any of that? No, of course not. He says, okay, so the workers don't control that. Private, international, economic, industry elites control that. He says, number two is war. He says, do the proletariat control or begin wars? No. Was it the political elite? No. He says, even if it was the political elite to start a war, where does the funding come from for a war? Doesn't it take a lot of money to have a war? Yeah, exactly. And then he says, the workers, he says, so, so the proletariat don't control the, the, the war machine. And he says, the workers themselves, do the workers control the workers? Do they organize mass work strikes? Do they really control the unions? Maybe at one time, a long time ago, but not by the 30s and 40s, they didn't control unions. Those were eventually bought up. He says, so this shows you that the three levers of revolution are actually run by very wealthy, powerful people. And he says that you can look at s uh, certain historical events like the assassination of uh, Archduke Franz Ferdinand, he says, basically by British intelligence and British intelligence using these people, uh, their Marxist assets and allies and various, uh, I know in, the, in that case it was the Black Hand, but that was organized, he says, by these Fabian socialist elites in the UK to kick off World War I because they wanted war. He says, in fact, war is revolutionary. War is part of the revolutionary program. And that's why Marxism has this history of sort of, you know, the symbology and imagery of red as in blood, war, right? Red is a, is a uh, Martian color, Mars, right? And so red communism, red Marxism is a war revolutionary based society or, or uh, excuse me, system. And he says that ultimately this revolution is even destructive of many of those in our ranks. He says, if you look at the French Revolution, when the revolutionaries came to power, the first thing they did was kill a bunch of the revolutionaries. And he says, this is always the case because they serve other ends. And basically, he says, there's dupes. Dupes within the system of Marxism, socialism serve the system because they think they're serving something to bring about social justice or whatever, right? The low-level Marxists. And even he says, people in secret societies who were sort of roped into serving uh, the socialist revolutions in the last uh, you know, couple centuries, he says, they were some of the first people to be killed off. He says, Woodrow Wilson, for example, was utilized by Colonel Edwin Mandel House and some of our assets in order to help set up this Federal Reserve System, which he says is revolutionary. And this is what really blows the mind of his NKVD interrogator. He says, you're telling me that the Federal Reserve style bank for national settlement style banking system is revolutionary? He says, isn't that what we're fighting? And Murkowski says, no, it is the revolution because that was a revolution against nation states and against people uh, printing their own money, having their own currency. And he says, and, and that's why we had to, for example, get rid of certain countries that, were, that didn't have this model. He says the fall of the czar, for example, was key. He says the establishment of Federal Reserve banks in other countries was key. And he says, we even utilized a lot of the Masonic societies just as our tools to bring about revolution, especially during the 1800s and, and in, the, in the 1900s. And so he says that th this whole model of nationalism <clears throat> uh, has to be done away with. And he says that that's because the true model here of internationalism is really just a program to level, consolidate wealth and transfer it offshore.
And that's exactly what Sutton and Quigley say. And this is the dialectic that I've been speaking of. That's presently the system that we live in, not primarily classical Marxism, but a system that is big capital, Fortune 100, et cetera, that utilizes these principles to control people within a managed dialectic. And you can't step out of the controlled fake left right or the controlled conservative versus liberal dialect dialectic because it's they set the parameters of what's allowed. Don't go anywhere. This is the Alex Jones Show. I'm your guest host. By the way, thank you for your support. The CBD product from InfoWarsStore.com is truly outstanding. I've got one of my family members on it, and it's working wonders. It is highly potent. It's very effective. We've tested it in the laboratory, and it's an extraordinary value. InfoWarsStore.com. Check out the CBD oil. I think that's the 1,000 milligram bottle that I'm referring to there, but there are some other formats that are available as well. Welcome back to the Alex Jones Show. I'm your guest host, Jay Dyer of Jay's Analysis. If you remember back to the time of Plato, if you've heard my Plato lectures, and if you go to uh, my website or my YouTube channel, you can find all my Plato lectures. You can also go to Band.Video, and if you search my name, you'll find the last two years of all the information and lectures that I've done in the last two years over there at Band.Video. Uh, we've covered you know, Plato's Republic in depth, and Plato said that the, the way the system needs to work is that you have basically an inner secret society that publicly lies and publicly gives out disinformation and false stories, what he called the, the noble lie amongst other lies. And he says that this is the best way to control the system. And it has to be run this way because that's just the nature of the beast, he says. And so the, the Marxists and the socialists, uh, when they were forming their early communities uh, in the time of the French Revolution, who, by the way, they got support even at that time from very wealthy, powerful elites, including even the aristocracy and the bourgeoisie. They supported a lot of these revolutionary movements. Even at that time, they, they consciously adopted the Pythagorean and uh, Platonic social, uh, secret society model saying that they would have to hide their designs because their designs are so revolutionary, so wild against the existing order that they would be com uh, completely and immediately shut down if they were discovered. And of course, uh, some of those designs have been discovered. That's how we know about you know, Adam Weishaupt's uh, uh, Jacob and Illuminist uh, conspiracy is because those, those plans were eventually discovered. But the same idea, uh, which is a radical feminism, a radical liberty, equality, fraternity doctrine of the, of the Jacobin socialist Marxist continued on in various secret societies. And we see it pop back up with Marx. We see it pop back up with people like Giuseppe Mazzini. We see it pop back up with uh, people like Antonio Gramsci. <clears throat> but those are just sort of the, uh, the, the public faces and pushers of Marxism and socialism. And they are conspirators. And they are involved in a lot of secret societies and machinations and intrigues, but they're not the ones really hoisting the system upon the whole world. And that's the key revolution here. Uh, the key idea to understand about revolution is that it's not primarily those people on the ground. It's people like David Rockefeller who says in his memoirs that he was so happy to go into communist China right, right before, I think right before Nixon did, or right around that time. He said, because that allowed Chase Bank to be the only and the first bank in communist China. And in 1979, he writes a, a, an essay 
for the New York Times from a China travel explaining how he was so glad to see the success of that revolution and how Maoism is a amazing and excellent experiment for the future of humanity. And that's just one example amongst many. American Industrial Corporation, right, is another example that funded the Bolsheviks and gave them money. USAID was used to funnel money to the Bolsheviks and to Trotsky. Trotsky was especially the one that got most of the money. And it was, in fact, Trotsky, according to Rakovsky, who was the real star of the early revolution. Even Lenin was kind of uh, upstate or, 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 or uh, not the real ideal that they wanted. And then Stalin ar arose as the sort of chief or henchman to, uh, to Lenin, and then he came to power, and that's why he had to get rid of Trotsky is because apparently Stalin found out that Marxism was already under the control of this. And so he thought, well, I'll just run this thing and I'll make myself the dictator. And we've seen that in so many cases of you know, uh, tyrants, puppets, dictators who've been supported by the West. We think of Noriega, we think of uh, bin Laden, we think of uh, uh, Gaddafi, right? You get supported by the West and then eventually you get tossed aside, you're no longer needed. And that might be because you've expired, you've run your course, so they don't need you anymore. It could be because you are not doing everything you're supposed to do. There could be many reasons why you're dispensed with. But that dispensing is something that's key to the history of revolutions who are funded by the wealthiest people out there. And so this is just really blowing the mind of the NKVD interrogator. He just he just can't understand this. He he senses though that it's that it seems to be consistent. It actually makes sense. But he says that it's just really hard to believe that you know people nobody's really understood. And he's like, well, it's not nobody that hasn't understood this. He says a lot of people have understood this. And he says that when they do understand it. He says that that's when it's time to, for example, if they're a dictator or a leader that understands it, that's when it's time to dispense with them. He says, for example, the people that I serve, he says these industrialists and these banking elites, he says they are uh, set up and promoted Hitler. And the NKVD guy says, what? Why would they promote that guy? That's who we're fighting against in the Soviet Union. And he says they want the war. They want the war against the Soviet Union because ultimately this war exhausts all of these powers and only hands more power to this elite. And he says that we must have our dialectical opponent, tiny mustache man, Hitler. Hitler must be supported. And if you read quickly, I think it's, it's page 1059 in Tragic Hope, he says that Alan Dulles used to work for the Schroeder Bank, which is the bank that funded Hitler's rise. Schroeder Bank with the Bank of England, England funded the rise of Hitler. Tragic Hope, page 1059. And that's exactly what Rakowski says. Now, he doesn't say Schroeder Bank, but he just says that the same people behind internationalism are the same people behind Tiny Mustache Man and your revolution, ultimately. And so some people theorize, again, we don't know this is true, it's a lot of speculation, but some people theorize. And actually, in, in Tragic Hope, Quigley says that this is what actually kicks off the, the Cold War, is that Stalin didn't want the Marshall Plan aid because he thought perhaps that this was an attempt to control and manipulate him. Now, he was helped and propped up as well, right, from the West, and we know that from Sutton's work also. But one of the reasons for the Cold War, <clears throat> even according to Quigley, was that there was this struggle for control of international socialism. Would, would it be uh, the Trotsky-Lenin types, or would it be the... Uh, the, the Soviet-style uh, Russian national socialism, uh, 
uh, or what he calls national communism, right? He says the only difference between Hitler and Stalin is that Hitler is national socialism and uh, Stalin was national communism. But they're both essentially control systems that are exported to, to by the West. <clears throat> and he says that it doesn't matter to us because he says we can have these systems bump up against each, against each other and go to war because that only benefits the revolution. He says the war is revolutionary. And so he says that if you understand this, you understand it all because you understand that the elite need their opposition and they need it to, 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 uh, to go to war because that's the best way to fund and promote their ultimate designs, which are total control. And war is also a great way to make money. <clears throat> and he says that, uh, did you imagine that the people that run the planet don't know how to make money? He says, do you, do you imagine the people that know that, that just figured out all of this, that they don't know how to steer and manipulate coups and revolutions and fascism and socialism and democracy and all this kind of stuff? He says, all of these systems will ultimately die, even the secret society system, he says, because it will give way to our end goal. And he doesn't exactly say what the end goal is, other than he says things like total control, right? And that's essentially where we are now, which is the technocratic era. And I was thinking as I was reading this that, you know, he, lo he locates the essence of the power in this system, not in media or in government, but in the money printing. And if we think about what's going on right now in, in cryptocurrency, for example, in my view, Bitcoin is the superior uh, form of money. It is ethical money. It actually, if you think about it, solves a lot of these problems. Now, there's nothing that's absolutely perfect in the world. And it's very early in terms of Bitcoin. So Bitcoin is volatile because it's in that early phase. But a lot of things that are new, if you look at the early phases of Amazon stock, it was very volatile. It had collapses before it rose to you know, high levels of, of prominence. But you'll notice that whether it's Hillary or whether it's Bill Gates or whether they all talk about how they don't like Bitcoin. If you look at Klaus and, and, and World Economic Forum, he says, oh, I, I like the things like the, the Cardano. I like the things like the Solana. We like the things like the Ethereum. Because those are all centralized things. And the difference with Bitcoin is that it's not centralized, it's decentralized, and it's based on math. You can't inflate it. It has a limited supply. Only 21 million ever will be printed or minted or mined, you should say. Printed or minted in the sense of comparing it to the older system. So, I mean, doesn't that kind of show that if you understand that, and if you go listen to the, the, the lectures and the talks of Michael Saylor, for example, the MicroStrategies CEO who really invested everything he had all of, and even took out loans to go into Bitcoin so heavily, billions of dollars into Bitcoin, you know, he goes into the depths of, going, of, of discussing this, explaining how this system of energy uh, storage, money is really just a way to store energy over time, he says that that's the great innovation of, of Bitcoin is that it, it solves and it, and it goes against what this system represents. This system represents a manipulation and control mechanism where a centralized private elite group can inflate or deflate or destroy your currency at will. And he says that Bitcoin represents an international math-based system that can't be inflated or destroyed at will because it's decentralized. It's the very opposite. So that's ethical. That's just. This system is not ethical, not just, and the, the high-level Marxists themselves say that. It is intended to destroy because the destruction of economics is what leads to the technocratic socialist endgame. This is The Alex Jones Show.
also, you've seen on this show just today, bombshell after bombshell after bombshell that will affect the world for the better and that's putting the tyrants on their heels. But we can't do it without your support. I just did two hours. I did plug in the first hour. I just did two hours and did not do one plug. You tune into all the rest of the talk radio, because I get it, nobody listens to the ads. They're plugging in the segment, out of the segment. The start of the segment, out of the segment. I can't do that. Our money problems would be over if I just did that. We have sponsors lined up out the ass, but I cannot stand to do it. I just want to sell supplements and books and films at M4Store.com that empower you, that enrich your mind, that inform you, and that keep us on air. So, less than 1% of listeners actually buy products. Most listeners do share the articles and videos. That's why we're so successful. You're the reason we're successful. Not just the great guests, not just the great analysis. But I can't do it without you. So I need those that have been on the fence for whatever reason to go get the best CBD oil you're going to find out there for the price. It's the highest grade at less than 50% off what anybody else sells it for. To go get our nitric boost. It's so good for your heart and your blood and your whole cardiovascular system. To get our great prebiotics sold out for over a year. Finally back in stock, 40% off or the ultimate bone broth sold out for over two years with supply chain breakdowns. Now, finally back in stock. And the vitamin D3 gummies and uh, the sleep aid uh, knockout and so many other great products like Down and Out and the new turmeric toothpaste that is full of vitamins and minerals and tea tree oil and, and highest quality iodine, not just the turmeric. So good for your gums, so good for your cells, so good to rejuvenate your body. Infowarsstore.com is the coordinates to get great products and know at this critical time you are fighting against the tyrants. Infowarsstore.com or 888-253-3139. We are barely in the black. I humbly appreciate your support and I'm asking those of you that have supported to support again, get great products at the same time. And I'm asking those of you on the fence take action now at infowarstore.com it's a win-win situation only way you lose is not taking action make a straight donation as well on the site infowarstore.com